Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we um, come before you asking that you would um, fill us with your Holy Spirit to know and understand what your word is speaking to us. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word, the word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we may know you, worship you all the days of our life, that we may repent of sin and know where we have fallen short so that we can repent and turn uh, to your law and turn our feet to your law. Lord, please grant that we would um, move quickly and hastily to keep your law, knowing that it is our delight. Please make it our delight and help us to put aside the sin that so easily entangles us and to, to seek after you with all our heart and, and to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thank you again for your word and uh, grant that to us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hosea. So <clears throat> we're beginning Hosea. Hosea is the first book of what is called the Minor Prophets, after what are called the Major Prophets, starting with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Hosea to Malachi are the books that constitute the Minor Prophets. They're called the Minor Prophets, not because they are um, worthless or or do not need to be considered, but they're minor in their length. They are smaller books. And they're at the end of the Old Testament, from Hosea to Malachi. The first books are before the exile of Judah. And then the last uh, three to four books are after the exile of Judah. But we we begin with Hosea. um, And he wrote very close to the end of the northern kingdom, which we'll see later as we go through the kings. Um, But as a brief uh, reminder of the history of Israel and the world at this time, Uh, We remember that after Israel came out of Egypt, um, they lived in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they conquered Canaan. And then for about 400 years, there was the time of the judges. And that's when all 12 tribes were um, united, but they had no king, and the judges ruled over them. And then in 1 Samuel, we begin with the first king, which is Saul. And when Samuel temporarily anoints Saul, and he was king over all 12 tribes, uh, for 40 years. He reigned for 40 years, and all he was over all 12 of the tribes. After Saul's death, David reigned over the whole nation, all 12 tribes, for another 40 years, and then he began his reign in, in Hebron, and then he moved into Jerusalem. After David's death, Solomon, his son, took his place and reigned for another 40 years, and this is called the United Kingdom of Israel. All 12 tribes are united underneath the Davidic king, as well as uh, Saul in the beginning. So that's a span of 120 years. Um, After that, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he reigned for a short time, but then during his reign in in 1 Kings 11.43 and in chapter 12, uh, the people rebelled against him because of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, although ultimately it was God who took away the kingdom from Rehoboam through his foolishness. The ten tribes, the ten, most of them are in the north, the northern tribes were taken away, and Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned as king over the northern northern kingdom. So 
Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned over Judah and Benjamin in the south. That's called the southern kingdom or the kingdom of Judah. And then in the north, the rest of the ten tribes uh, were began uh, at the time when Jeroboam reigned. And that's called the northern kingdom or the kingdom of Israel. And that was around uh, 900 BC or so. And then in 1 Kings 14.15, which we'll actually turn there now. In 1 Kings 14.15, God actually prophesies and predicts the destruction of the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, to be taken by the Assyrians across the Euphrates. 1 Kings 14.15. It says, For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, and he will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers, and will scatter them beyond the Euphrates River, because they have made their ashram provoking the Lord to anger. The Euphrates River is uh, close by the Tigris River in the, the northeast, northeast of Israel, where modern-day Iran and Iraq are, and that is where the kingdom of Assyria um, reigned at that time. And that's important because Assyria is the main enemy of the northern kingdom and even the southern kingdom when Hezekiah was reigning. But Assyria was the kingdom that actually destroyed uh, the kingdom of the north, the kingdom of Israel. It began from one of the sons of Shem named Ashur, which is seen in Genesis 10. Um, but they built uh, their, their kingdom where Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq and Iran and Syria. And Nimrod in Genesis 10 also built uh, Nineveh there. Uh, the Syrian Empire, as we knew it at this time, was, uh, came to power around 911 B.C. And it lasted until 609 B.C. when Babylon destroyed it uh, through Nebuchadnezzar's father. And then Babylon took its place, and we know Babylon is what destroyed the southern kingdom. Uh, the capital city of Assyria was Nineveh, which is the same Nineveh that Jonah preached in, in the book of Jonah. Um, there were some notable kings that are found in scripture from Assyria. Uh, one of them was Tiglath-Pileser, or Tilgath-Pilnesar, and he was during the reign of King Ahaz of Judah in 2 Kings 16. Another one mentioned in scripture is Shalmaneser during the reign of Hezekiah in Judah. Shalmaneser was the king that destroyed Samaria in the northern kingdom and put them into exile, which is principally what Hosea is talking about in his book. Um, and then another king is Sennacherib. He was the Assyrian king who besieged Jerusalem during Hezekiah's time until God slayed the army through the angel of the Lord, which is in 2 Kings 18 and 19. Um, also in Isaiah 10, Assyria is called the rod of God's anger. They are a kingdom that God used to punish the northern kingdom, just like he used Babylon to punish the southern kingdom in, uh, later on. And the, the destruction of the northern kingdom happened around 722 BC. So that, that's the history of, of the world. So let's return to Hosea 1, and we'll see also some more uh, background of when, when Hosea is writing and why he's writing during the reign of these kings. Um, Hosea 1 begins with the word of the Lord which came to Hosea. So this, this is not just a, a history. It's not um, the work of a man, but it is the word of the Lord himself. And this is a common uh, introduction that the prophets make. If you just flip over a couple pages to Joel, the next prophet, Joel 1.1, 1, 1, he introduces his prophecy in the same way. Joel 1.1 1, 1 says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. And Amos does the same thing. 
In the next book, Amos says, The words of Amos, who were among the shepherders from Tekoa, which he envisioned and visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and, then, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So Amos is also declaring that he saw these visions. They came from the Lord, and he's a contemporary of Hosea. And Jonah as well, he says the same thing, um, that this is the word of the Lord that came to him. Jonah 1.1 1, 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, and he talks about the destruction of Nineveh. So he is also a contemporary of Hosea. We can also be assured and know that Hosea is the word of the Lord because the New Testament quotes it uh, multiple times. And in Romans 9.25, Paul quotes Hosea by name. He says, as Hosea says, which we'll see later. So this is indeed divine scripture of the Old Testament that we have. This is God's words um, that we should take and, and fear and tremble before. Uh, next, he says, it's the word of the Lord which came to Hosea, the son of Be'eri. Now, we don't know really anything about Hosea or who Be'eri is, but we do know his name. Hosea is actually a relatively common name, and it's a name that means salvation, which is very fitting for this book because God's salvation and his, his mercy is declared throughout the entire book. If you flip over real quick to Hosea 13... Hosea 13, Hosea 13, 4, God says this, Yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you are not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. God is declaring himself as Savior, and there is no other Savior but the Lord. This is the same Lord and God in the Old Testament that we have in the New Testament. So there is no Savior besides the Lord. And it's the same God that the prophets and all of the righteous had faith in, that we have faith in. Um, let's also go back to Numbers 13 to see where Hosea's namesake is. Um, in Numbers 13... Moses is sending out the spies, the 12 spies, to the land of Canaan, which included Joshua and Caleb. And he lists the names of the spies. So Numbers 13, verse 8, it says, From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun, which Hosea is the same as Hosea. And then you go down to verse 16. It says, these are the names of the men who Moses sent to spy out the land, but Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So Hosea or Hosea was Joshua's original name, and it means salvation. And then Moses called him Joshua, which is a very similar name, which means the Lord is salvation. And that name Joshua is the same name where we get Jesus, which of course we know is what um, Moses and Mary named um, Christ. They named him Jesus or Joshua, which is very similar to Hosea, which we see in Matthew one twenty one. And in Matthew one twenty one, um, he says why why he's supposed to be named Jesus. <clears throat> and the reason why is because Christ is our salvation. He's the Savior, the one who saves us from our sins. Matthew one twenty one. 
the angel says to, uh, to Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So this name Hosea or Hosea or Joshua, it's fitting for a prophet who is a type of Christ and who is preaching about Christ in his book because Christ is the ultimate savior. He is the Lord who is the savior, the one who will save us from our sins. And that is one of the themes of the book of Hosea. It's a theme of Israel's unfaithfulness and their sin and God's faithfulness despite their sin, his faithfulness to the elect and his salvation of them. Next in Hosea 1.1, we'll look through the kings that he mentions and see some of the, the history there in Israel to know the times that he was writing in and what the kings were like. In Hosea 1.1, it says, During the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. These are four kings in succession. Each of them is the son of the previous one. And they were kings in Judah. They were uh, sons of David and living and reigning in the kingdom of Judah. So to know about King Uzziah, we'll turn to 2 Chronicles 26. And we'll stay in 2 Chronicles for a while. In the historical books, the first and second kings, those are the books that describe the destruction of Israel and Judah and the, the sinfulness of the kings mainly, but also their faithfulness. And in first and second chronicles, they are discussing the line of David and God's faithfulness to the line of David through all of these kings, even with their sins. So second chronicles 26 verse one we'll read about Uzziah. Second Chronicles 26, one. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the place of his father, Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. So we see here that Uzziah is a mostly good king while uh, Zechariah was around, and while he sought the Lord, God prospered him. And he had many uh, victorious uh, military campaigns, and he, was, he built Judah into a very strong nation, and he reigned 52 years, which is a very long time. One, a type of reign you would think that would never end and a strength that you'd think would never end. But his sinfulness was his downfall, as we'll see here in verse 16. And shortly after, it, it gets even worse until Hezekiah comes in. Second Chronicles 26, 16, it says, But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. For he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Then Azariah the priest entered after him, and with him eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. They opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, is it, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. But Uzziah with the censer in his hand for burning incense was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priests, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they hurried him out of there, and he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. 
King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, has written. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave which belonged to the kings. For they said, He is a leper, and Jotham his son became king in his place. When God set up the tabernacle and the temple, he made very clear that the only person who was able to enter into the holy place and the holy of holies was the high priest, which is a type of Christ, that Christ is the only one who can enter the true tabernacle of heaven for us. But Uzziah seeks to usurp that, and he tried to offer incense in the holy place by himself without the priest, which was not for him to do. And so God struck him with leprosy to punish him, and he was a leper till the day of his death. Again, this is all to show that there is no king, uh, priest, and prophet that we have except Christ alone. Christ is the only one who fulfills all three of those offices perfectly. Um, and it was not any, any king before him who, who could do that. Uh, next, his son Jotham. We'll read Second Chronicles 27. Uh, Jotham is the next king in line. It says here in 2 Chronicles 27, Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. But the people continued acting corruptly. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord, and he built extensively the wall of Ophel. Moreover, he built cities in the hill country of Judah, and he built fortresses and towers on the wooded hills. He fought also with the king of the Ammonites, prevailed over them, so that the Ammonites gave him during that year one hundred talents of silver, ten thousand cores of wheat, and ten thousand of barley. The Ammonites also paid him this, this amount in the second and third year. So Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham, even all his wars and his acts, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. He was twenty-five years old when he became king, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And Jotham slept with his father, fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Ahaz, his son, became king in his place. So here Jotham is another 16 years of, of a strong reign. He was strong. He even subdued the Ammonites and got tribute from them. And so he was mighty, as it says in verse 6, that Jotham became mighty. And why was he mighty? Because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. He did right in the sight of the Lord as his father had done, except he did not commit the sin of his father by entering into the temple. Because he had done these good things and done what the king was supposed to do, God prospered him. And again, this is 52 years and 16 years, even if there's some overlap. That is many years of a strong kingdom, one that we wouldn't think would ever end or, or, down, um, or degrade. But the next king, Ahaz, is when it starts um, to degrade and corruption begins and um, God starts punishing the people. So the next king Ahaz in Second Chronicles 28, the son of Jotham, it says in Second Chronicles 28, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do right in the sight of the Lord as David his father had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made molten images for the Baals. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, and burned his sons in fire, according to the abominations of the nations, whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. 
He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Ahaz did not learn from Jotham or Uzziah or his father David, but instead he learned from the wicked kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, and he learned from the wicked people uh, that that God had driven out when the the nation of Israel had uh, conquered Canaan. He burned incense um, in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He made molten images for the Baals. He burned his own sons in fire, most likely to Molech. Um, And he did all of these abominations that the nations had done, which the Lord had driven out. The Lord had punished these nations for all of these wicked things. And he was about to punish Israel for the same things. And yet what what does Ahaz do? He does the same, very same wicked things and causes the downfall or begins the downfall of the southern kingdom. Um, moving on, and there's, there's many other things that he did that were very sinful as it goes on, but we'll move on to verse 16, where he um, has this uh, interaction with Assyria, the main enemy of Israel at the time. Second Chronicles twenty-eight sixteen. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria for help. For again, the Edomites had come and attacked Judah and carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and of the Negev of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ajalon, Gedaroth, and Sokoh with its villages, Timnah with its villages, and Gimzo with its villages, and they settled there. For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had brought about a lack of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to the Lord. Pausing there, we see that he sought help from the kings of Assyria. It doesn't say that he sought help from the the Lord, the true king of all the earth. He sought help from the kings of Assyria. This is the foolishness of someone in their sin, that when they do sinful things and God is punishing them, instead of seeking the Lord and repenting, he instead aggravates the sin and goes to, to wicked men for help. And why does it say that in verse 19? For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had brought about a lack of restraint in Judah. The king is supposed to restrain a people's sinfulness because we live uh, amongst a sinful people. Everyone is sinful. The king is supposed to restrain their evil. But instead of restraining, he brought about a lack of restraint and encouraged their unfaithfulness with his own unfaithfulness. Uh, Going on in verse 20, it says, So Tilgath uh, Pilnesar, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. Although Ahaz took a portion out of the house of the Lord and out of the palace of the king and of the princes and gave it to the king of Assyria, it did not help him. Now in the time of his distress, this same king Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to the Lord. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, and said, Because the gods of the kings of Aram helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they became the downfall of him and all Israel. Moreover, when Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God, he cut the utensils of the house of God in pieces, and he closed the doors of the house of the Lord and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoke the Lord, the God of his fathers, to anger. Now the rest of his acts and all his ways from first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem, for they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. And there we have more unfaithfulness from Ahaz and distress in the kingdom because of it. Assyria oppressing them, which is also the kingdom that oppressed 
the north. Moving on to Hezekiah, the fourth king that Hosea mentions. He is the son of Ahaz, and he (coughs) was a wise man who, instead of learning the evil things, the unfaithfulness of his father, he saw the evil of his father, and he turned away from it. And he instead did the, the good things, the righteous things of his fathers before him, and principally David. So Second Chronicles 29.1, it says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them into the square on, on the east. So he is as one who did right in the sight of the Lord. And, and how, much, how much right did he do? He did it according to all that his father David had done. David, the man after God's own heart, the one who did righteousness in the sight of the Lord, this is the one that Hezekiah is like. Let's also turn to what Kings has to say about it. Second Kings 18. And we'll see again the uh, glowing recommendation of Hezekiah that his, his righteousness, what a godly man that he was. Second Kings 18, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, Now it came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord... He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. So this, after 16 years of Ahaz, of unfaithfulness and lack of restraint, we have Hezekiah, who had the courage to bring about many reforms. He broke down all of these altars and false places of worship and false gods. Even uh, the bronze serpent that Moses had made, that God commanded Moses to make, he destroyed because Israel was playing the harlot with it. And why did he do all these things? Because he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. And this is how we must be as well. And this is uh, the righteous king at the end of Hosea's life. uh, During his reign is when Hosea is writing. Um, Keeping your finger in 2 Kings... In Hosea 1, after he finishes the the kings of Judah, Hosea says, And during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So to to learn about Jeroboam, the son of Joash, we will stay in 2 Kings and go back to 2 Kings 14. This is not the the Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That is, he's sometimes called Jeroboam the first. He's the first king of Israel. But this is um, a future king, uh, or a later king, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, or Jeroboam the second. Second Kings 14, verse 23, uh, is when 
Jeroboam's reign begins. It says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned forty-one years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not depart. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was of Gath-hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, which was very bitter, for there was neither bond nor free, nor was there any helper for Israel. The Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. In the north, the, the kingdom of Israel, there was no good kings. There were some good kings in the kingdom of Judah, but they were all all of the kings of Israel were evil, beginning with Jeroboam the first, the son of Nebat, and he made uh, molten images for them to worship when he became king. And it says that Jeroboam the son of Joash, Jeroboam the second, he did the same thing. He did not um, turn away from the sins of Jeroboam the first, but continued them. But even still, even with this wicked king who reigned a long time, God used him to build up the nation to, to display his pity. We also see that Jonah um, was a contemporary of Hosea because it says that Jonah um, uh, spoke a, a word in verse 25. But God was faithful to Israel and used Jeroboam, a wicked king, to build up the kingdom and he says in verse 26, For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, which was very bitter, for there was neither bond nor free, nor was there any helper for Israel. No one was there to help Israel. And so it shows his faithfulness and his mercy, because even amongst that wicked people, the wicked king, there were um, elect that God had kept for himself. As, it says, as he says to Elijah, that there are 7,000 that he kept um, who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So they, he still had his people in the people of Israel, but the nation at large was under his judgment. And so he um, shows his faithfulness even here. This is the faithfulness that Hosea describes in his book. Um, and then there's multiple kings after um, Jeroboam. In, in chapter 15, um, we see the beginning of the downfall of the northern kingdom of Israel. In 2 Kings 15, verse 8, um, Zechariah uh, <clears throat> reigned in the place of Jeroboam. It says, In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Azariah is the same name as Uzziah. He's the same king as Uzziah. Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel and Samaria for six months. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his fathers had done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. Then Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and struck him before the people and killed him and reigned in his place. So he did evil, and then someone conspired against him to kill him within six months. He only had a six-month reign. And any time you have a kingdom where there's a, there are conspiracies and kings are assassinated in a short time, you know that, that the, the end of that kingdom is coming very close. And then in verse uh, 13 through 16, we have the short reign of Shalom. Shalom, son of Jabesh, became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah, and he reigned uh, one month in Samaria. Then uh, Menahem, son of Gadi, went up from Tirzah and came to Samaria and struck Shalom, the son of Jabesh, in Samaria and killed him and, he, and became king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Shalom and his conspiracy which he made, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. Then uh, Menahem struck 
Tiphsah, and all who were in it in the borders from Tirzah, because they did not open to him. Therefore he struck it and ripped up all its women who were with child. So Shalom, who conspired against Zechariah, he only reigned one month before someone else had a conspiracy and killed him. And Menahem took his place. And he also did evil. Uh, verse 17. In the 39th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Menahem, son of Gadi, became king over Israel and reigned 10 years in Samaria. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. Pul, king of Syria, came against the land, and Menahem gave Pul a thousand talents of silver, so that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his rule. Then Menahem exacted the money from Israel, even from all the mighty men of wealth, from each man fifty shekels of silver, to pay the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria returned and did not remain there in the land. So there we have the beginning of the subjugation to Assyria, and Assyria's oppression of the northern kingdom. Uh, moving on to verse 23, we have, we have the next king of Israel. In the 50th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekahiah, son of Menahem, became king over Israel in, in Samaria and reigned two years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. Then Pekah, son of Ramaliah, his officer, conspired against him and struck him in Samaria in the castle of the king's house with Argob and Ariah. And with him were 50 men of the, of the Gileadites, and he killed him and became king in his place. So again, more evil, more unfaithfulness, and then another assassination and conspiracy from Pekah, the son of Ramalia. Going on to verse 27, In the fifty-second year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, son of Ramalia, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned twenty years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Ejon and Abelbeth Makah, and Janoah, and Kadesh, and Hazor, and Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried them captive to Assyria. And Hoshea, the son of Elah, made a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Ramalia, and struck him and put him to death, and became king in his place, in the twentieth year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. So there, again, more unfaithfulness, and it always goes back to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. They never repented of their sins that began at that time. And then Hoshea, the king, the son of Elah, became king, and he is the last king of Israel. Uh, let's turn to 2 Kings 17, and we'll see the reign of Hoshea and the destruction of the kingdom of Israel by Assyria, which again, we said, was prophesied in 1 Kings 14, that the northern kingdom would be taken across the Euphrates River, which is where Assyria and Nineveh was. Second Kings 17. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea the son of Elah became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned nine years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, only not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea became his servant and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hoshea, who had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and had offered no tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. So the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded the whole land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and carried Israel away into exile to Assyria and settled them in Halah and Habor on the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. 
Now this came about because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up from the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods, and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel, and in the customs of the kings of Israel which they had introduced. The sons of Israel did things secretly which were not right against the Lord their God. Moreover, they built for themselves high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set for themselves sacred pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all the high places as the nations did, which the Lord had carried away to exile before them. And they did evil things provoking the Lord. They served idols concerning which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you through my servants, the prophets. However, they did not listen, but stiffened their neck like their fathers, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant, which he made with their fathers and his warnings with which he warned them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the nations which surrounded them concerning which the Lord had commanded them not to do like them. They forsook all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves molten images, even two calves, and made an Asherah, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served Baal. Then they made their sons and their daughters pass through the fire, and practiced divination and enchantments, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him. So the Lord was very angry with Israel, removed them from his sight. None was left except the tribe of Judah." So here we see um, the sins of Israel, starting with Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And because of all of these sins, the destruction of Israel was brought about. Because of the sin that started with Jeroboam, the whole nation was destroyed. All ten tribes. No tribe was left but the tribe of Judah. Only the kingdom of Judah was left. And it all came about from the Lord because of their sin through the hand of Assyria. And it's quite possible that Hosea actually lived to see um, this destruction because it happened during Hezekiah's reign. And Hosea said that he wrote during Hezekiah's reign. And we see that when we go through Hosea, he will be talking about um, God's destruction of the north through Assyria. But again, God's faithfulness and mercy towards his elect. Let's return to Hosea and we'll finish with... um, some famous and well-known uh, passages in Hosea, important passages, and there are many. And we'll also go to the ones that the New Testament quotes, which is actually the first one that we will do. So in Hosea, we'll read Hosea 1, uh, Hosea 1.10. It says, Hosea 1.10, Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader, and they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. So God is telling them that they are not his people uh, because of their unfaithfulness. They are like an adulterous wife, um, whom he actually commands Hosea to marry, as a, as a picture of this. But though they are not his people, and though there are going to be many who are not his people, the Gentiles, God will call them and make them his own, and they will become sons of the living God. And it says in verse 11, they will appoint for themselves one leader, and that one leader is Christ. 
Um, before going to the New Testament, let's go to chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 23. Hosea 2, 23 says, I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. These two verses, Hosea 1.10 and Hosea 2.23, are quoted in Romans 9. Romans 9.25. We'll start in Romans 9, verse 24. And Paul is proving that God is faithful, even though not all of Israel all the tribes have believed in, in Christ. Romans 9, 24. Uh, Even us whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles, as he says also in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people my people, and her who is not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. So there he's quoting Hosea. Hosea 1.10 and Hosea 2.23, to prove that um, God is calling people from among Jews and Gentiles, those who are not called God's people, God calls them his people, and they are the sons of the living God, and that is through Christ, their one leader. And so Hosea is prophesying about Christ and the bringing in of the Gentiles. It's also quoted, uh, these passages are also quoted in 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2.10. And Peter is, again, making the same point as Paul, that the gospel that they were preaching, that it was to go out to all the nations, was, was proven from the Old Testament, from people and prophets like Hosea. First Peter chapter 2, and verse 10. He says, For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. That that last part, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, is what it says in, in Hosea 2.23, where it says, I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. So again, this, this book of Hosea is a book of God's mercy and compassion and his salvation to those who are not his people, those who are unfaithful to him, but are among his elect. Uh, returning to Hosea, <clears throat> we'll go through some verses that are well known. Hosea chapter 3, verse 5. Hosea 3, 5 says, Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. So right there is clear evidence that Hosea is talking about the last days, which we know from Hebrews 1, that the last days are when God has spoken to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what he says that afterward, after God um, punishes them, his elect, the elect from the sons of Israel, will return and seek God, the Lord their God, and David their king. Well, David their king has been dead for many years at this point. So who is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the son of David, who is Christ. Christ, who is the son of David according to the flesh, as it says in Romans 1. That is David their king, the one that they will seek. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. And this is the gospel, the gospel of Christ in the last days that we have come to, the goodness of the God that we have come to. Uh, moving on to Hosea 4, 
Isaiah 4, 6. God says this, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will I also will forget your children. So here God is rejecting the priesthood, and this verse is sometimes quoted about um, people who have a lack of knowledge, but the lack of knowledge that God is talking about here is knowledge of his commandments, knowledge of his law and his word. And that's why his people are destroyed. And that's what we saw in, in 2 Kings 17, that Israel was destroyed because of their lack of knowledge, because they did not listen to their prophets who told them to turn away from their sins and to turn to the commandments of the Lord. And because of that, he rejected them from being his priests. But again, we know, as we saw earlier from Hosea, that Christ will make um, his people a kingdom of priests. Uh, moving on to chapter 5, Hosea 5.15. Hosea 5.15, I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. So God turns his face away. Um, and we even know that, that Christ has, has gone to his place. He has ascended into heaven. Um, and he does this so that in during this time, we can earnestly seek the Lord and call others to seek the Lord and preach the gospel to them. And But how do we seek the Lord? Well, it says, until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. Seeking the face of the Lord begins with an acknowledgement of guilt, of our sin and unfaithfulness. And in our affliction, we must earnestly seek the Lord. We, we cannot turn to idols in our affliction, but we must seek the Lord when we are afflicted, knowing that we deserve affliction. Hosea 6, uh, 1 through 3. He says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day, that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. So again, Hosea's call to, to everyone to return to the Lord, to God's people to return to the Lord, because he is the one who has torn us but yet he will heal us. He is the one who has wounded us, yet he will bandage us. He is the one who afflicts us in all of our sin. He's the one who afflicted Israel because of their sin, but he is also the one who will heal them and bandage them. And how so? In verse two, he will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day. Well, what important event happened on the third day except the resurrection of Christ himself? And this is the one that Hosea is prophesying of because he also says that we may live before him revive us after two, two days. The, the resurrection of Christ is a revivification. It's a, a reliving. It's a raising up. And this is what Hosea is, is preaching about. And because of that, we must know and press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. Just like the sun comes up every day, Christ's coming, his first coming was certain, and it happened, and his second coming is also certain. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. The things that we think happen and never change, it is Christ's coming is more certain than those things. Um, Hosea 6.6, 6, it says, For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In Matthew 9, Christ quotes this passage of Hosea um, against 
the Pharisees of his day. Matthew 9. And verse 10. We'll start in uh, Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came in the house, uh, or sorry, came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So to prove um, that what Christ is doing is lawful and good and what God has commanded, he quotes Hosea 6, verse 6. When Hosea 6, 6 says, For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. Christ says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. The compassion, the loyalty that God demands of us is those um, preaching the gospel to those who, who need it, the, the elect, so that the elect may be saved. And this is exactly what Christ did. It is not those who are healthy who need the physician, but those who are sick, sick in their sin and who need repentance. And so he preached repentance to them, and the ones that repented, he showed compassion to. And it is not sacrifice, that is the sacrifice of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer. That is not what God desires, but he desires um, faith in Christ and um, love from a pure heart. Uh, back to Hosea. Hosea 6, 7 says, But like Adam they have transgressed the covenant, there they have dealt treacherously against me. So this is an important verse because it shows that what God had done in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve was a covenant, even though it never says the word covenant in Genesis 1 through 3. He says, but like Adam, that is like Adam from the beginning of the world, they, the nation of Israel, have transgressed the covenant. There they have dealt treacherously against me. They're shown to be sons of Adam instead of sons of God, sons of Satan instead of sons of God. Because just like Adam, they transgressed the covenant and disobeyed God. Uh, moving on to Hosea 8.12. Hosea 8, verse 12. God says, Though I wrote for him 10,000 precepts of my law, they are regarded as a strange thing. So God um, wrote 10,000 precepts of his law. He wrote many laws, good laws, good laws for Israel to follow. But though he wrote them, they are regarded as a strange thing, something that is not worth being considered or worth obeying. Um, but God has no delight in them and their, their false sacrifices because they are uh, not considering his precepts that he commanded. Um, moving on to chapter 9, 9.15. It says, All their evil is at Gilgal. Indeed, I came to hate them there. Because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. This is the, the harsh message that Hosea gives, that God gives through Hosea to the people. He says, All their evil is at Gilgal. Indeed, I came to hate them there. So there it shows that God does hate um, 
wicked people because it says because of the wickedness of their deeds i will drive them out of my house i will love them no more all their princes are rebels again in second kings 17 plus all of the kings that we we mentioned all of their princes are rebels unfaithful to the lord they repeated the sins of the son of jeroboam the son of nebat and so god drove them out and loved them no more hosea 10 verse 8 Hosea 10, 8. Also the high places of Avon and the sin of Israel will be destroyed. Thorn and thistle will grow on their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills fall on us. From the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel, there they stand. Will not the battle against the sons of iniquity overtake them in Gibeah? When it says, They will say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills fall on us. This is quoted by Christ in Luke twenty three thirty, And it's also quoted in Revelation in Luke 23:30 uh, we'll start in verse 29 Luke, Luke 23:29 For behold the days are coming when they will say blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed then they will begin to say the to the mountains fall on us and to the hills cover us for if they do these things when the tree is green what will happen when it is dry This is when um Christ is being taken to be to cru- to be crucified, and they are mocking him, or and then and then they are weeping for him, a pretend, a pretending to weep for him. And he said that there will be a weeping that will come when God destroys the nation, and then when God when Christ comes to judge the whole world, and they will say to the mountains, "Fall on us, and to the hills cover us." It is, it is better for mountains and hills to cover us than to. Uh, take the the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb. We see this also in Revelation six. Revelation six sixteen. Again, the same will be true uh, at the very end when Christ comes again. That it is it will be more pleasant for mountains and hills to fall on us than to see the wrath of God. Revelation six sixteen. Uh, we'll start in verse fifteen. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So Hosea is also preaching the the wrath of God. Back to Hosea, Hosea 11.1. It says, when Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. This is quoted in Matthew 2, 2.15, um, when Matthew proves that, uh, that Christ is a fulfillment of prophecy. Matthew 2.15 says, he reigned, remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. After Herod tried to kill Christ, um, God warned Joseph uh, through the angel of the Lord to, to flee to Egypt. And so just like uh, the people of Israel, as God promised to Abraham, that they would be sojourners in a land that was not theirs, and they would come out of Egypt. So Christ, as the true Israel, came out of Egypt. And Christ is God's son. Israel was a type of Christ, um, called God's son, but Christ is um, God's natural son. Moving on to Hosea eleven, eight, he says, "How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? 
How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar, and his sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. So again, this shows God's faithfulness. He says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? As if, like a man who is is uh, overturned with compassion and, and emotion, God is speaking this way. My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again. He did destroy Ephraim the first time. But for the elect, he will not destroy them again. Um, because he is God and not a man. He is the Holy One. And he will call them. He will roar like a lion, and his sons, God's sons, will come trembling from the west. And they will come trembling like birds from Egypt and from the land of Assyria, from all the places that God calls them. Uh, Moving on to Hosea 12, 3 through 5. It says, In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel. And there he spoke with us, even the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his name. So there, it's going back to when Jacob uh, was born, when he grabbed the heel of Esau and uh, supplanted him. Um, But in his maturity, when he became older, it says he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. This is back when Jacob was um, at Bethel and he wrestled with the angel And it says, and there he spoke with us, even the Lord, the God of hosts. So it's proof that the angel of the Lord, the one that Jacob had faith in, is the Lord. Is not not a created angel, but the uncreated angel who is Christ himself. And that is the roots uh, of Israel. And it's what Hosea is calling them to go back to. Back to the one that Jacob had faith in. Hebrews 13, or Hebrews, sorry. Hosea 13, 14. Hosea 13, 14. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion will be hidden from my sight. Now this um, is probably better translated in in the King James Version. But in, for now, we'll just say that it's quoted in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. In 1 Corinthians 15, 55, Paul quotes this passage in Hosea to show, um, approve the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 54. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Hosea is preaching the resurrection, the the destruction of death, the death of death because of Christ and his resurrection. And Paul quotes this passage in Hosea to prove that. And then the last two verses in Hosea 14. Hosea 14, 2 says, uh, Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. This is a prayer of repentance, of returning to the Lord. And so God gives us what a prayer of repentance is. Say to him, that is, say to the Lord, 
Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. To, to come to the Lord, we must ask him to take away our iniquity and ask him to receive us graciously. It is his grace that receives us. And why? So that we may present the fruit of our lips, that we may present um, good deeds and the fruit of lips that sing praises to God. And then Hosea, the last one, Hosea 14.9. This is how Hosea finishes his book, his prophecy with a proverb, which reminds uh, me of Ecclesiastes 12, how Ecclesiastes finishes. Hosea 14.9, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. It's the wise who understand the words of the prophets, the words of God. It's the discerning who know them. And why? It's because the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous, God's elect, will walk in them. But there are many transgressors, and when they hear the word of the Lord, they will stumble in them. And this is how we know the difference between the righteous and the wicked. May the word of Christ richly dwell within us. Amen.